Welcome to the Parlay Podcast, a thought-provoking and entertaining podcast that breaks down the pathology of speech, language, and other processes that affect the way we communicate on a daily basis. Professor of Speech and Language Pathology, Chantal Mayer-Crittenden, hosts a bevy of guests who help her explore and explain the diverse landscape of speech, language, and their relationship with the brain. This is Chantal Mayer Crittenden, the host for the Parley podcast. I am very excited about today's guest, uh, Barbara Collier. She is the executive director and co-founder of Communication Disabilities Access Canada and Augmentative Communication Community Partnerships Canada. Since 2001, she's developed and managed CDAC's projects related to so many things such as human rights, social justice, and accessibility for people who have disabilities that affect communication. Barbara's background is in speech language pathology and augmentative communication. She's published extensively in peer-reviewed journals and has authored a number of books, DVDs, and online courses. She's the primary author of CDAC's reports and online resources. And in 2010, Barbara was named as Fellow of the International Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication, which is also known as ISAAC. She is co-recipient of the Isaac President's Award, and the list keeps going on and on. In 2016, on behalf of CDAC, she accepted the David C. Onley Award for Leadership and Accessibility. So you can imagine how excited I am to have Barbara as a guest speaker on our podcast today. Welcome, Barbara, and hello. Hi, Chantel. I'm sorry that was so long. It just tells you how long I've been in the business and how old I am. (laughs) No, no problem. I think it's important for our listeners to get a a sense of of all of your accomplishments. Now, um, maybe before we get started in in this introduction, I talked about how your background is in speech-language pathology. So the listeners are uh, familiar with what we do as speech-language pathologists, but maybe not so much about augmentative communication. So maybe just enlighten us on what is augmentative communication in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Well, it's it's augmentative and alternative communication or AAC for short. And that refers to ways other than speech that people can communicate. Now we're not talking about people who use sign language or have hearing loss as their primary disability. Um, So augmentative communication would include um, body language, facial expressions, gestures, adapted sign language maybe. It would include picture boards, symbol boards, uh, letter boards or alphabet boards, speech generating devices. And there are specialized um, clinics across Canada and in Ontario that are AAC clinics and they would um, do assessments and they would include speech language pathologists, technologists, occupational therapists um, and other disciplines in looking at um, best fits really for uh, communication methods and systems for people. Precisely. Thank you very much for clarifying. Now, uh, as I mentioned, you are the executive director and co-founder of Communication Disabilities Access Canada, CDAC. Can you maybe uh, start by telling us about CDAC and its history? 
Yes, it's history. Um, well, it started in 2001. And um, at that time, we established the, the uh, Augmentative Communication Partnerships Canada, and we have evolved into uh, Communication Disabilities Access Canada. But in 2001, a group of us decided that there really needed to be a focus on uh, social justice and accessibility issues for people who had significant communication disabilities. Um, as you know, I was a speech pathologist. I was working in the clinical field but um, we were we were seeing people with with significant communication challenges going out into um, their communities and facing enormous barriers in accessing services. So there needed to be more of a folk more. Uh, there needed to be a focus not only on the systems that people were using to communicate, but also on the communities and the sectors themselves on how to make themselves accessible to them. And this was during a time of a, a major disability movement, independent living. So it, it, it needed to have a, a, a dual approach. So we were, we were looking at um, not just uh, uh, the systems and the communication methods that people needed to communicate, but also on the accessibility issues within their communities, and spe specifically the sectors that were important to them, like education, healthcare, uh, justice, and really looking at what was happening in the disability community itself, where the independent living uh, movement was addressing accessibility. And that's where we were coming from. Um, we set up uh, a small group, and it included Hazel Self, who's still the chair of CDAC, Judith Snow, who was a well-known activist in the disability community, Anne Warwick, who was well-known in the speech pathology and AAC world, uh, Donna McGee Richmond, uh, Tony Diamante, and we tried to, to develop a concept of an org, national organization that would be disability focused, but would also include input from professionals. So right now we're a national nonprofit organization um, and we, are, we have no staff. We are project funded only. We... Um, I work from home, we have no real estate. Um, and when, so I generate the projects in the area of accessibility and social justice and obtain the funding if I'm lucky and we're lucky. And then we hire in the expertise that we want when we do that project. There are always people with communication disabilities. That's, that's a given, that's one of our principles. But there could be uh, legal professionals, there could be accessibility consultants, speech pathologists, and others padding out that team depending on what the project is. Mm -hmm. And I think it's wonderful, like you mentioned, there, there has been a huge movement for people with disabilities, but oftentimes when people think about a person who might have a disability, you think of a physical disability. And a lot of times the communication disability is not so obvious to the naked eye. And so um, I think that what CDAC is doing is, is making, raising awareness essentially on what it is to, 
to I, have. I can tell you, even even with um, you're so right, Chanta. Um, we're we've been in business now for 18 years, mm-hmm. and I am still shocked by the omission or neglect for um, this population and a, a complete misunderstanding of the importance of communication when it comes to accessibility. A, a number of years ago, we did a national study and we looked at what was happening in the different provinces when it was uh, in terms of policy around accessibility. And um, there are only a number of provinces that have accessibility legislation in place. I believe that's Ontario right now, um, Manitoba. And I'm going to get this wrong, I'm, I'm quite sure. Uh, BC's, I believe, is developing. Um, Nova Scotia. There are initiatives in that. But what we did was we looked at, um, are we in there? What's, what are they saying about people who have speech and language disabilities? And we found that there was a complete lack of representation. The focus is, as you said, on physical access to space and buildings. There's an awareness of sensory access. So very much um, awareness of people who require sign language deaf and sign language services. There's an awareness, I believe, about um, people's need for alternate formats if they are blind or have visual impairments. Um, so alternate formats. There's a, 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 some awareness of plain language for people with intellectual disabilities. But across the board, people who have speech and language disabilities that affect their interaction are missing on that. And there seems to be um, a myth uh, perpetuated in the the larger community and particularly the disability sector that, well, everybody has an intellectual disability. If they have a speech and language disability, somebody's going to speak for them, which of Mm -hmm. course is wrong. Um, and, 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 And I think that that's a huge, huge issue. Mm-hmm. accessibility so 18 years later we are still saying this is what communication access is um i often say it this way there are three major areas of accessibility as we see it as we see it in cdac one is um attitudes respectful communication values um of inclusiveness non-discriminatory behaviors The second one is physical access to buildings and spaces. And the third one is communication. And in communication, I think our message is that we must look at communication access for people who have disabilities that affect their communication. And that's an enormous population that includes sensory, but it also includes neurological and intellectual. Mm -hmm. And I think if, if we could take that lens to accessibility, then it would become more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it kind of reminds me of the communication access symbol that is on the uh, CDAC website. And, you know, I bet you 99% of the listeners right now don't know what this symbol is. I mean, everybody's familiar with the wheelchair symbol, um, you know, demonstrating that there might be a ramp to get into a building, but the communication access symbol, which is fairly new. Uh, how, when did it come about, actually? 
we developed that symbol. Mm. Okay, I think it was about 2016. Okay. And we were doing an awareness. I, th- I think the most, perhaps more important than the symbol, we're mm. hanging things on the symbol, is what does communication access mean mm-hmm. for speech and language disabilities? Um, that's the key issue because I think one of the reasons, uh, another reason why we're, we have not been included at the accessibility discussions is because even our sector are not at all sure about what access means for speech and language disabilities. I think as speech pathologists, we, we, we do our jobs um, in providing people, hopefully with, with ways to communicate, but what are the obligations of a service provider on the other side? Um, we don't want to teach everyone to be a speech pathologist. Mm-hmm. We don't expect police officers to look at somebody and diagnose them and suddenly flip around in a, in a, in a, in a book and say, oh, I think you on the autism spectrum, I'm going to do the following things with you. Mm-hmm. That's totally unreasonable. And, and we're, we've been saying that to people. We, don't, we are not preaching a diagnostic solution to this. We are preaching um, a generic response to people who, who either self-identify as having a communication disability or who you suspect have difficulty understanding, processing or communicating to you. So the symbol uh, that you talk about, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the meaning behind that. Absolutely. The fact that we're, we're talking about interactive two-way communication. And speech pathologists, yeah, yeah, we know that. The accessibility world that I navigate around do not know that. If you look at the policies, and I think I was talking about that earlier when we did that research, um, the AODA in Ontario and others, you'll see that communication is often filtered into information and communication. And they put the S on it, communications. Mm-hmm. It's about how people get information into their heads. Um, it's about alternate formats. It's about accessible websites. We define communication as interactive, two-way comprehension and expression and the establishment of joint meaning between two people. And we say that that occurs in face-to-face interactions, over the telephone, in group interactions, and through reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And they're the contexts where services are usually provided. Now, when I say telephone, I am talking about alternatives to the telephone as well. I mean, and, and reading and writing, I'm including social media and websites, but I'm also including forms, expressive communication through writing, which is a major problem for many people who have physical and speech and language disabilities. So that's the that's sort of the the context for that uh, for that symbol, and we also um, recognize that people communicate in many different ways, uh, not just sign language, but in augmentative and alternative ways, and also including speech that may or may not be may or may not be intelligible, may be unclear, may be slurred. Um, but that's the reality of people uh, who have communication disabilities in their communities. And then we hang on that 
what you need to know in order to communicate with somebody who uses a letter board or who has a communication assistance and what supports people might need in different contexts. Because a federal court is different than going into Service Canada or Ontario mm-hmm. and, and talking about your, your license. And that's important too, or giving consent in a medical situation. There are different levels of, what would I call it, critical communication mm-hmm. and the need for authenticity and accuracy. Mm-hmm. I like that term, critical communication. A context. Mm-hmm. So we would say, um, now, who are we to say what's important to somebody? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do grapple with this. And what we've been um, trying to do here is say that people, many people, even people who are competent communicators using um, a, a speech generating device, a typing device, and very competent around people who are familiar with how they communicate um, using speech, but people understand their speech you may find yourself in a situation where people don't understand your speech. And what we've been saying here is that unlike people who are deaf, who have sign language interpreters and can call them in, or someone who doesn't speak English or French and they need a translator, we do not have the same genre of supports for people who have speech and language disabilities. What they have to do is rely on a family member, which may not be appropriate, mm-hmm. um, or a friend or a staff person. Again, may not, may be totally appropriate, mm-hmm. may not. And so what we've been doing, Chantel, um, and we've been advocating for this for a long time, is training people how to be communication assistants. Now, a communication assistant is not someone that reads your mind. Mm-hmm. or delivers your message. They're directed by a person with communication disabilities. And that the role of the assistant is to ensure that they get into the conversation, they say what they want to say, they're understood, that they understand the other person's questions, but that they step back. It's more of an, it is an interpreting role, but it's different from an interpreting role, mm-hmm. if you get me. And we've been training We've been lobbying for a funding source for this. We do not have that funding source. But now that accessibility is becoming the the law, the Accessible Canada Act is about to go through to royal assent. I think that might change. And we've been moving ahead with this. And we provide online training for people who want to be assistants. So giving them a code of ethics and practice. And all our instructors on our online course are people who have communication disabilities um, and people who are, you know, assistants that they trust. And so they're the ones who are the, the teachers here. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we've had an enormous response to that. Mm-hmm. 2,300 people registered for those courses in a year. And out of that, we've established um, a database of people who are saying, I'm willing to assist people if they want everyday assistance. Um, so people with communication disabilities and families can go on and maybe find someone. Now, they still have to hire them. They're totally responsible for interviewing them, for doing safety checks, all of the rest. Um, but we provided a platform for that. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about 
critical communication contexts, that's not good enough. We train speech pathologists how to be intermediaries in high-stake situations such as uh, police, legal, and justice, and they are intermediaries. That's a different level of engagement, and um, it's, it's a very different skill base and code of ethics and practice for speech pathologists to work in. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe before we talk a bit more about that, um, I will mention that if people are interested in knowing more about this, they can go on the CDAC website, which is cdacanada.com, and you can uh, look for the um, training uh, if you want to obtain the training, or if you want to access this bank of people who have received the training, then you can find it on this website as well. Um, now, Maybe tell us how many hours would it take to receive the training? Okay, there, we have three courses. Uh, we have more than that. Mm-hmm. But the three courses um, that we've just um, done with 2,300 people uh, registered for, there's um, the, the first course is for people who want to be assistants. And that family members can take that, of course. And there's no obligation to be on the, the, the database. Okay. Take it for your own general information. Um, so that has six different lessons, and it takes about two hours to go through. It's in French, it's in English, and it is fully accessible. It's captioned with videos. There's transcripts, all of that. Um, The second course is on how to work with a communication assistant. And that is for people who have communication disabilities, because we shouldn't assume that they know how to direct an assistant or know what the role of the assistant is. Um, this is, this is a new service and people need to know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third one is um, for is a, is a 40 minute webinar and it is for businesses and organizations on how to make their services accessible for people with communication disabilities. And that's, that's a sort of a quick 40 minute lunch and learn activity. Um, we don't think it's enough, but we wanted to, we wanted to attract people into the field to do something, to learn something. And then we always give links for more information after that. But those are the three that we have. Um, the first two, as they say, take about two hours. They're more involved. And then the other one is 40 minutes. And then we will be running more um, online trainings for speech pathologists who are interested in becoming communication intermediaries. And we also host um, guest speakers Um, from other countries um, who are doing intermediary work in the justice systems there. Mm-hmm. And this is so such, such valuable training, you know, mm-hmm. for either the people who want to become um, assistants or those, like you said, who want to learn how to work with a, an assistant. Now, you said that it's the, the person who has a communication Disorder or has difficulty. <laughs> we we say disability, disability or a person that has a disability that affects communication. Yeah, because we don't use um, medical terms, disorder, impairment in the in the accessibility field or the disability field. 
I'm making note of that. Uh, <laughs> now you're saying that they are responsible for, I guess, uh, you know, selecting the, the right fit for them and for uh, mm-hmm. agreeing on uh, an honorary or, or a way of, of paying for the service if, if the assistant or the, the communication assistant wishes to be paid or how does that work? Okay, let me explain that. Um, we would love, we have been trying to get payment for this um, uh, through the government. Um, but again, you're working from a place of there's no awareness of the need for this. And I have to say, I think that is going to change um, with the Accessible Canada Act. I think we'll see um, certainly government groups um, and they're already doing this, aware that if that they have to offer communication assistance in the same way as they offer sign language services or attendance services. Right now, if they're going to have a public consultation, um, they say, let us know your accessibility needs. So what we want to start doing is saying, say that you need communication assistance if, you, if you've nobody to assist you. And... And, and put the onus back on the organizer of that meeting. And it could also be in a hospital. And, um, and I'll talk about the police situation in a second. Um, that it's, it, they are obliged by the legislation, um, and certainly the federal government, because the Accessible Canada is federal, they must provide the accessibility supports that a person needs in order to participate which means that the onus is on them to pay for that service. Mm-hmm. I know that people have brought somebody with them, their, their support service person, and if they didn't have money to pay for them, the obligation is for them to do that. And we sort of say for everyday interaction, um, it's around the same cost as an attendance service provider oh. would get. Um, I think that we're going to see more and more of that. Um, I think we're going to see it uh, in healthcare if you don't have somebody to assist you. And regarding the intermediaries in police justice and, and um, legal situation, certainly there's um, more of awareness now amongst those sectors that they must pay to bring in a person if they know about the intermediary services. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're not funded. So we, don't, we, we have no way to get this message out there. So it's a chicken and egg, create mm-hmm. the solution, but we also need to be doing this as well. And we need the speech pathologists and we need people with communication disabilities to say, I need somebody, I need this. Um, but certainly I've been brought in to assist people in police interviews And we know people in Ontario who have been hired as intermediaries to work in court systems as well. So that's coming. I think this is is definitely the future. Mm -hmm. But right now, maybe, you know, a lot of people, if they do need to, may have to sort of put their hand into their own pocket or use their social Mm -hmm. um, assistance to do that or going back to social assistance and saying, I need more money because I need communication assistance mm-hmm. in addition to the other things I'm getting. Mm-hmm. I think we're at a turning point. Like you mentioned, it's coming. People yeah. are coming. Yes. Yeah, slowly. Um, it needs an awful lot more work and uh, to get that through, but yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody listening, please tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your family members that this is a service that exists and it is a a basic human right to be able to communicate your needs. And, and, you know, so to 
to encourage people and who have communication disabilities mm-hmm. to go on our website, learn about their rights. I, I quote Glenda Watson Hyatt in, in um, Vancouver, who uh, uses a wheelchair, a mobility disability. She also uses an iPad to communicate. And as Glenda said, before she started working with CDAC, she said, I was very well aware of my accessibility rights as somebody needing to get into a building, but I really didn't understand my rights around communication access. And we're talking not about, you know, sometimes I read about communication rights. You have the right to say no, you have the right to express yourself. The communication access rights are different than that. Everyone has a right to say no and to express their opinion. But I think we need to focus on what are the obligations of organizations in providing access to their services? And that's a different level of rights. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, you did mention the Accessible Canada Act. Did you want to maybe tell us a bit more about that? So, Bill C-81, we have some exciting news. I will let you share it. <laughs> Well, this has been going on now for three years. It started with Minister Carla Qualtroff and the Liberal government doing consultations across the country. I think many of us were involved in that, uh, looking at um, the development of um, an act that would make all federal services, not provincial services, federal services accessible for people with disabilities. So this is a long time coming and in the making. And as part of that, a number of organizations were brought on board and funded. We got some funding to um, to, to provide input to the process. And one of the things we did, because we know that people with communication disabilities were not turning up at these consultations around, not a lot of them, um, and it was a different way of reaching people, um, we did a national um, survey and 2,200 people responded. And they responded, they were people with communication disabilities and speech pathologists and family members. That's a really important document for somebody interested in this field because it's basically a report on the barriers. Mm. And that was really um, very instrumental in providing input to the federal government in crafting Um, Bill C-81, which is now going to become the Accessible Canada Act. And we were um, very involved then on the leadership team. There was four organizations providing input to the Federal Accessibility Legislation Alliance. So it was wonderful that we were there and Mm -hmm. that we had a place and we had a voice. And I presented to the Huma, a standing committee in October. Now, at that time, Bill C-81 had identified priority areas. Um, I can't remember them all, to be honest. It was transportation, employment, um, information and communication technologies, and uh, built environment and something else, forgive me. And, and uh, when, when we presented to the, that committee, which was the House of Commons committee, we argued that in communication access is not covered in information and communications with the S, and it's not always a matter of technology. And because of that, they added, it was the only amendment, they added communication as a priority area. So we, we, we felt that that was an amazing difference. And it distinguishes this legislation from 
what we're seeing sometimes in, and we're quite involved in the Ontario model as well, but we're missing in the Ontario model. From there, we presented to the Senate. And at that point, that was this month, we asked that the, that, that they include a definition of what that communication means as being interactive and that they should be inclusive and mention the rights of people communicating from sign language to letterboards and everything. Unfortunately, the Senate did not include that amendment. What they did was include sign language. Um, now, so we were quite disappointed that it wasn't inclusive. We were very supportive that sign language needs to be in there, but it wasn't inclusive. Um, and the other day on Monday, last Monday, oh, May the 13th, which was what, only two days ago, um, the, the bill went back to the Senate. And we were very pleased that uh, Senator Munson, as the leader of the bill in the Senate, um, mentioned the uh, CDAC, but not so much, it's not about us, mm -hmm. but mentioned the fact that our testimony reported that people have communication disabilities for many different reasons, and they communicate in different ways. And Senator Dean spoke eloquently for about eight or nine minutes on the need to focus on communication access and not to forget us. And he illustrated the need for communication intermediaries in federal courts. And he specifically asked that the CASDO, the, the uh, Canadian Association for Standards Development Organization, must include speech and language disabilities. So it now goes back to the House of Commons. Mm -hmm. uh, we're hoping that in the next few days, we'll get Royal Assent for the Accessible Canada Act. And then I can tell you, Chantel, mm -hmm. the work begins. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I think we're there. I, 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 I know that we've been, I hope we've been heard. <laughs> and if not us, the senators. Mm -hmm. And I imagine you've been working tirelessly on this for the, last, the past few years. I mean, it always takes a long time to... Oh. Yes. Yeah, and, and a long time to art, to articulate it within the framework of mm -hmm. of legislation, mm -hmm. um, because this isn't just a, I I we never do advocacy. This is not advocacy. I always say I don't do advocacy. Mm -hmm. um, we do social justice. We do policy. We do legislation, and that's a different way of 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 connecting the dots of of embedding ourselves in this community. Mm -hmm. So many interesting things. Now, I always ask my guests on the podcast, how did you find interest in this type of work? You know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, you started off your career as a speech language pathologist, and now you're, you're working on uh, bills and social justice, like you said, and really... Um, uh, you know, you're still, you still have that speech and language pathology background, but it, it's kind of taken a very different route. So how, how did you find interest in this? That's a very interesting question. <laughs> and you're right. I absolutely use my background in speech language pathology and augmentative and alternative communication. And, and I'm fueled by the barriers and 
injustices and inequity of access to communities that many of the people um, that I know experience and, and people who have significant communication disabilities. So I'm fueled by, by that, Chantal. That's, that's my grounding. That's my motivation. And I think it's as simple and as complex as that. And, you know, right now, I, I find it extraordinary that we're still struggling to get this message across. But I, I find that we, we need to be there. I'm on the Healthcare Standards Committee in Ontario that was, it's being reinstated, but it, it, it's a group of, of people from the disability sector as well as the healthcare sector. And just trying to talk about consent to treatment um, for people who have communication disabilities. I mean, for us, it's, it's a no-brainer that this is a big issue and that they need, may need supports, but that's not the reality of people. The reality is they're not even asked for their consent. A family member will consent for them. A staff person standing beside them will consent. Um, they may not understand what they're consenting to or the implications of that treatment. And um, and I find that extraordinary. I find extraordinary that the the, the world is talking about legal capacity mm-hmm. um, and without considering communication. And I recently met with the UN um, Special Rapporteur. She was here doing um, a review of Canada's performance within the UN uh, Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And um, again, just trying to highlight that when your disability is communication, that is different than just being respectful and that we really need to look at legal capacity and supported decision-making on a continuum of communication supports, not instead of communication supports, which is, the, which is what I'm, I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. We need to have intermediaries embedded in the justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be at the accessibility tables for everything. We need um, medical assistance in dying. We need monitoring procedures. We've just, um, a, f- a year ago, we wrote up um, procedures for how, communica- how, how to safeguard people who have communication disabilities in that critical situation of medical negotiating medical assistance and dying and we did that as part of the vulnerable person standards but these things are sometimes I feel we're preaching to the converted Mm -hmm. and and that yeah we need to do an awful lot more work on this Yes, and I mean, right now we're uh, in the month of May. May is uh, speech and hearing months. And and this year, the hashtag from our national association is actually um, communication awareness. (laughs) And so just there is, like you said, you're you're really having to start from the ground up and raise awareness on what communication is before you can get um, Awareness is more than look at me. I have a communication Mm -hmm. disability. Mm -hmm. I really think that people need um, the messaging Mm -hmm. that that to translate be nice to me, I have a communicate, be respectful into led into um, expectations for accessibility. And I don't think we're doing a good job um, giving people the right language to say, this is what I need. 
um, to access your service. Hey, I want to talk to you on the phone. You don't understand me. I use a communication assistant to interpret my speech. I'm calling about whatever. And more and more we're hearing people saying, oh, no, you have to give power of attorney to the person mm-hmm. who is assisting you. There are simple solutions to how you go about authorizing somebody to assist communication over telephone services. And I think we need to, to really focus not just on, hey, I exist, but hey, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. And like you said, a lot of people don't use the right language, but that's kind of part of the problem. So people who have disabilities that affect communication will in turn have a difficult time using communication to express their needs. And so... Uh, and not even... But I, <laughs> you just hit it. So number one, they don't even know, as Glenda Watson Heights, they don't even know what our rights are or what we should could be asking for. And, and, and therefore, and speech pathologists need to assist with that. They need uh-huh. to be well-versed. And before discharging a person, they should be saying to them, hey, look, this is... an." I'll give you a brochure. We've lots of brochures. We've lots of information on our website. Uh, if you are ever needing um, to access a service and you have difficulty, here are your rights. Let's program something into your device. Let's program, let's give you a card that says some of the things that you might need if you need to access services. Let's work together on how you ask for those things. But I think right now, we, we just need to pull, bring that into our radar and do it as part of good service. Absolutely. Now, uh, you were saying that a lot of this is available on your website, some of... Um... Yeah. Yeah, I sneeze, I put it on the website. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's lots of information. Okay. Um, yeah. So okay. I, I, I would, if you're interested in this field, and I hope people are, mm-hmm. um, there's information that you can share with businesses and organizations. There's a whole section on our website is about information for people with speech and language disabilities about their rights. There's videos of people with communication disabilities communicating about that. There's webinars for police and justice about what they need to know. Let's make sure we need to know it before we change the world. But yeah, cruise around, see what you think. And also let us know what you need, because I, I think we have a platform of uh, to do things right now. And let us know if you want to be involved in this and help out, because we're mm-hmm. always looking for this. We are very cash poor. <laughs> Very, um, but uh, but that's where we're at right now. Okay. Now, all of this information, just letting the listeners know, will be available on the show notes at theparleypodcast.com, or you can go directly to cdacanada.com and find this information as well. Now, I am very mindful of the time. I have uh, maybe a couple more um, questions for you. Um, that I always ask all of the guests on this podcast. What um, what advice would you give professionals or people who work um, in public in the public sector uh, surrounding communication access? If you had a piece of advice in the public sector, or you know, who, I know, in, yeah. in, in generically. Yes. How to approach a person mm-hmm. with a, a communication disability. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and that's what our 40 minute webinar is about okay. and i think if i was to say anything to them it's just to say um ask people is there anything i can do to make communication go smoothly for you mm-hmm. um and and that only works if people know how to answer that question. <laughs> um, but don't assume that the best way is to just ask yes, no questions mm-hmm. or to speak loudly or to, to speak slowly or to speak to their assistant who's with them. Um, address the person directly and ask them, is there anything you can do? Most people who use augmentative communication have a, a little instruction as to how they communicate. What I'd like to see is that they have something now that actually does tell um, a, an unfamiliar person what they want them to do, not what they do, but what they want the other person to do. Some people okay. don't want you to guess. It completely throws them off. And other people are fine with, with, with guessing. So um, always ask. It's as, it's as simple as that. And also then, depending on what your service is. Do you offer telephone service? Are you setting up a meeting? Is this a meeting setup? Um, there are different suggestions and guidelines um, on how to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a, a very good piece of advice. Like you said, it doesn't have to be so complicated. Just ask, what, how can I make communication easier for you? I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, would you have advice for a person who has a disability that affects their communication and who is trying to access services? Know your rights. Mm-hmm. Know that you have a right to the um, accommodations and supports that you require. Um, and that might be if you need somebody to assist you with communication, you have a right to ask for that um, and to bring that person with you. And in some situations, you, are, you have a right to have the organization pay for that assistant if you need them. Um, you have a right to use a communication method of your choice um, that's, that is yeah, so it's your choice which communication system um, you decide to use in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, and I also think that the feedback that we're getting from people taking the how to work with the communication assistance course yeah. um, is very valuable because some people have been saying, I never knew that I, I, that I could ask for someone other than my family member. I didn't want to, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm um, hearing other people with communication disabilities say that, you know, there are times I don't want my mother or exactly. my to come. It's private. And I prefer to have my own autonomy and my privacy. That was a really strong message that came through in the feedback from people hearing others say, it's, you don't always have to go with status quo here. Mm-hmm. Um, even, they're not saying it's a bad thing, but they're saying there's an option. Mm-hmm. That's very reassuring for people to hear. And to also see other people with communication disabilities communicate about their barriers, which makes, makes it less lonely for people. Exactly. There's a community out there and it's important to communicate with other people who, who struggle. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me of with uh, episode 10, I was with uh, Sean Ziegenfuse from Australia and we talked about 
there was a really interesting human rights video on communication that was on Facebook um, on the International Communication Program page. And I will share the link to that in the show notes because it really struck a chord for me, you know, on the importance of communication and that it is a basic human right and not just like you said to um to to have a right to say yes or no and and have a right for people to be kind and respectful it's beyond that and this video does demonstrate that quite well um now do you have any favorite resources um i know that you said that most of uh, of your resources are on the website is there anything else out there that you'd like the listeners to know about Oh gosh, there's so many different. <laughs> there's so many. Um, I absolutely love the work of the Witness Intermediary Scheme in the UK. Um, Dame Judith Plotnikoff, Richard Wolfson's work. Um, I, I'm, I rely on their input and their wisdom so much in looking at access to justice. And I think that's the other thing, Chantelle, like I flip around because I'm not in one sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's justice, they're my hero. <laughs> if it's access to healthcare, um, my heroes there is the um, Sarah Blackstone's group in the US, patient provider communication. Again, we've got these on our website. That's a link with tons and lots of really, really good resources. And we've also developed um, additional complementary resources uh, in access to healthcare. So it, it really, I, it's not an easy question. I have lots of heroes and lots of, of resources. And when I come across them, I will absolutely share them. The work in Australia, of course, is wonderful as well. Scope's mm-hmm. work is great. So, yeah, and Isaac's work internationally. Yeah. Um, but there's not a lot of groups that are uh, doing the work that we're doing, which is very focused on social justice and, um, and, and communication and accessibility, communication disabilities. I think some people are doing bits and pieces of it, um, but uh, we're really kind of m- more focused on that. Um, and we're not just a speech pathology, not just, I'm, I, I, I'm not putting down speech pathologists, I am one, um, but we, we are very much transdisciplinary. I work very closely with lawyers and with human rights activists and the disability community, even outside the communication disability community. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and it, like you said, it is a tough question because it is such a broad topic and it is so complex and you wear so many different hats. Well, I think on that note, you have given us so much information. I, I think it's, a uh, you know, we could keep talking for hours and hours. Um, I know. <laughs> so I strongly encourage the listeners to visit the website if they are interested, there's a lot of information there. If they want to themselves become a communication assistant or if it's a person who has a disability that affects communication, they can get information there as well. Um, you also, uh, CDAC also has a Facebook page, like I mentioned. Any other social media? Are, are you on Twitter? Well, I, it's, I should, 
mostly it's just it's me unless we've got a project so I don't have a, a you know a finance department or a mm-hmm. social media person I'd love the money to do that but right now it's whenever I can and, and you're correct I do put I tend to use Facebook and Twitter to put the updates because I can't do it personally on on email and things are moving very very quickly so I update on the Accessibility Act, on the, the feedback that we gave to the Ontario government on its third review, our meetings with ministers. I always put it out there to say, this is what's going on. It's not always good news, but at least it's something. Exactly. So I'll put the links to Facebook and Twitter on the show yes. notes as well. Well, thank you so much, Barbara. It's uh, been such a, a great episode and I learned so much and like you said uh cdc has been around since 2001 and i think that you you know you've done such an amazing job with your team at getting funding and trying to um create all of these amazing projects and courses and and whatnot and so hopefully um people who are listening will understand the value of all of these projects that are available to them and, and share, share the information. And the more we talk about it, the more it becomes something that is, is more normal, so to speak. You know, the more, the more you're aware of something, the more it just becomes second nature. Now you go into a building and there's a ramp and you don't even think twice, you know, whereas yeah. even a decade ago, a lot of buildings weren't accessible. So mm-hmm. let's make it normal. And hopefully people will start recognizing, um, the importance of communication access and then we'll start seeing the symbol. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and the symbol, you can download it. We, yes. we do not say you need to be accredited to do this. We, we use it as an awareness. You can download the symbol. There's a, a little description about this is what it means. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, stick it on your door and tell people about it. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> We've also had buttons made. Uh, some organizations have made T-shirts with it on it, so it's mm-hmm. it's there. We don't we don't want ownership of this. Mm-hmm. We want you to use it, but we do want you to use it in the way that we intended. Mm-hmm. And I will make it um, my mission to um, have this symbol up um, at Laurentian University. And I hope that other speech-language pathologists will do the same in their their organization. So uh, thank you so much. I know you have a lot of projects to work on, so I will let you get to those. And um, yeah, and hopefully um, if people need to contact you, there is contact information on the website as well. Absolutely. Thank you, Quintel. It was great to have a chance to talk about my favorite things. Yeah, and you can tell you're very passionate about it, which is fantastic. (laughs) All right, take care. So following a little poll on Instagram, um, you guys told me that you wanted some bloopers. So here are some bloopers. Um, Not the model of uh, fix it, but more on the, uh, sorry. Now I'm going to have to start on that and just, (laughs) I'm sorry about that. I should have turned off my phone, but I can never figure out the technology. 